This podcast comes to you from the Plant Biosecurity Research Initiative. For more information on PBRI, visit www.pbri.com.au. The response by Australian scientists and agronomists to the fall armyworm incursion has been swift. The various agriculture departments have worked alongside growers and their agros in the paddock and in the laboratory to study how the pest is operating in our environment and to look for the most effective control measures. G'day, I'm Chris Brown. Today I'll take you to the Northern Territory where we'll find a good example of that mix of research and control. Joining me are Brian Thistleton, a Senior Principal Entomologist with the Northern Territory's Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade, and also from the Department, Senior Entomologist Fresel Praise Tadley. Brian, where has the fall armyworm taken up residence in the Northern Territory? Where has it been found? Well, it's really just in the top end from Darwin down as far as Catherine and the Douglas Daly region. We found it at the end of March this year, about the same time that Helen was finding it in Kununurra, across all those three areas. So really just the very north. We've had traps further south in Tennant Creek and Alice Springs, but we didn't catch anything in those traps. But of course, those have gone into the winter. We get more of a winter period further south. So we don't know whether the fall armyworm will spread there. I imagine over your wet period, the fall armyworm might tend to look for southern climes. Is that something you're expecting? Well, I'm expecting that, based on the experience overseas, that it will persist in the territory, in the north of the territory, where it is now, it will persist year round. But there will be migration of some of the population further south, you know, as we get warmer temperatures further south just like in America, where it goes right the way up through from the southern states, right the way up through to the Canadian border during summer. Praise, what crops have you found fall armyworm on? With the surveillance that we are doing, we found them feeding on sweet corn, maize, and sorghum. So we found them in Catherine, Douglas Daly, and somewhere here in, in Darwin area. Have they done much damage, uh, praise? Have you seen any damage yeah, at so all? Yes, so for the maize crop, there was 200 hectares. And based on the assessment of the grower, he says that he has 25% loss for his production. And we also have that sweet corn, but this one is an organic farmer. And then he said that he has 40% loss for that one. So is it limited to only two farms at this yes, stage? Yes, so at this stage, they, it is only limited to sweet corn and maize. So far for sorghum, we could not really rule out how much percentage of its loss in terms of the production. And you've also been monitoring fall armyworm in some trial cotton crops. What have you found there? With the growers, we haven't found any for that one, but we did field trial in, a, in one of our research stations and we tested the different crops that include sweet corn, bulgard cotton, conventional cotton, watermelon, and okra. So in the field, we only found them feeding on sweet corn, but with our laboratory experiment using the no-choice test, we found them or we observed them that full armyworm are able to develop and complete its life cycle on sweet corn, okra, watermelon, and conventional cotton. But for bulgard cotton, at first instars, the fall armyworm died. Brian, are there any grasses grown in the Northern Territory that are potential 
hosts for fall armyworm? Well, of course, there's large areas of cattle country with grasses in, but quite a lot of the cattle properties do actually grow irrigated roads grass. And I note that in Western Australia, the fall armyworm has been attacking the roads grass. We haven't actually recorded it on roads grass at present, although our traps have indicated that fall armyworm is in those areas. So that is a potential for the future. It sounds like to me that the amount of damage that's being done, although significant on those two farms you mentioned, it seems to be concentrated in those specific areas. What's the danger? What are you expecting, Brian, could possibly happen, seeing that fall armyworm has the potential to find a host, something like what, 350 different host plants? It has been recorded on 300 different host plants. It seems from experience overseas, it's mainly the grass crops and mainly maize and sweet corn and those types of crops that are most heavily damaged, but it will go on to various vegetable crops. So what we're doing with our research, we're, we're really keen to you know, find out what are the potential hosts moving forward. Now, when I say that, as you know, there's a couple of different strains being recorded overseas, which have different ranges of host plant, the rice strain and the corn strain, the rice strain getting more onto sort of pasture land and, and such like. Even though we're assessing the strain we've got here, we're always mindful of the fact that now we've got fall armyworm, it will probably not just be one introduction. You know, I think it will be continue to come in and there will be other strains or hybrids coming in. So it's something we need to do research on to see, A, what the present one's feeding on and whether that changes over time. Okay, Praise, let's go back to the experiments that you're conducting in the laboratory on these different crops. Now, sweet corn is, is obviously one that, that it clearly thrives on. What have you actually done in the laboratory with sweet corn? And what has that told you? So I've tested the fall armyworm using the sweet corn in a no-choice test. And with the result that I've got, it's telling us that, yeah, the sweet corn could be a primary host for fall armyworm. With the result in the lab, they're able to complete their life cycle. And this is also observed in the field. What about okra? Was it able to complete its life cycle? Yeah, um, it's really interesting that in the lab, so the fall armyworm is able to complete its development, not only on okra, but also on watermelon and the conventional cotton. But in the field, we're not able to observe them feeding on those crops yet as of the moment. So it really be interesting to see whether uh, this, uh, yeah, whether full armyworm would really be feeding on these crops in the field. Why do you think that is the case, that it's not doing it out in the paddock, but it is in the... Because the, the test that we did is a no-choice test. So that means that we use small containers and then we just confine them on that type of crop. So that's why, yeah, they don't have any choice actually. So they, we just only feed them with that certain type of crop. And then, yeah, probably they have that. I don't know if they have adaptability. I mean, they're able to adapt on that host crop, but it is really different in the field because there are many crops in there. And if they were able to find their main host, then that means that they will be feeding on their main host and they will not be feeding on other crops. But we don't know what will happen in the future because we don't know as well if the population of full armyworm would really increase or that depends on the pressure actually in the field. So, 
Yeah, I think that's the main reason because the test that I did is a no choice test and they don't have any option to feed on other crops. Eat or yeah. die. Brian, Praise mentioned that it is a, a numbers game and we're only months into this incursion. What is your best estimation in terms of heavier populations coming in and breeding here? Well, this is something we need to find out as to what's going to happen. It, it seems to be driven by the host plants we've got here at present. We notice the buildup in the traps when we're close to things like the large maize crop we had or the sweet corn. It will be interesting to see what they persist on during the wet season, whether they go on to some of the native grasses or other grass crops. Any work being done on vegetables and whether they are attacking vegetables or not? Well, that was the reason for our initial trial. And when Praise described that trial, this is very much an initial one. We had the sweet corn and okra and melons, so cucurbits and okra, which is closely related to cotton. The Asian veg growers grow a whole load of different cucurbit crops, things like rough melons and Lebanese cucumbers, those sorts of things. So we're worried about whether the fall armyworm, you know, recognising the large hostess that's been recorded overseas, whether the fall armyworm will go on to those crops. We haven't actually recorded them on any of those crops yet. And moving forward, when we do more further trials, we will have those crops in our trials to establish that. Yeah. And again, it's a numbers game, isn't it? It's what the food that's available to them, I suppose. Yes, Let's talk about some control measures, Brian, particularly biological control. How are you situated in the Northern Territory in terms of biological control of the fall armyworm? So the biological control would be from three different types of organisms. There are predators, which will, you know, things like spiders and predatory bugs and such like, which will feed on the insects directly. We know on okra, we often get bad outbreaks of Spodoptera lechura, another Spodoptera species, a local one. If the growers don't spray and allow the predators to build up, we get things like spine predatory shield bugs taking out those Spodoptera lechura. So we're hoping that that is going to happen also with the fall armyworm, but we haven't observed any of those as yet. But there's those, there's parasitoids, things like trichogramma, which we know attacks fall armyworm and can be mass reared and released. That is also present naturally in the territory. We've had it on some of our trials on other insects, so that's also something that could take over. And then the third group, the entomopathogens, the various diseases that would, could be used to attack fall armyworm. This is diseases of insects, and there's a range of groups of entomopathogens. There's things like fungi, and there's two that are used quite widely, metarhizium and bovaria. They're things like bacteria, and that's where we get the toxins for the uh, Bacillus syringiensis. And there's also nuclear polyhedrosis virus. There is a commercial product with a nuclear polyhedrosis virus that's available in the States and can be sprayed onto crops. So all three of those groups are, are of interest. With the fungi, metrism and bovaria, the ones that are normally used because they are very easy to culture, to bulk up, and then formulate into sprays. And there are commercial products already with metarhizium and bovaria in, but the metarhizium comes in various strains, and it's best to get a strain that's adapted to your particular insect. 
So we will be looking for mechanisms of attacking full armor in the field and then trying to develop them as a pesticide. With the virus, which is available in the States, there is interest in importing that to Australia. I don't know whether that will be successful because it's a living virus and there are all sorts of protocols that have to be followed to bring in the living virus. It is very specific to fall armyworm, but evidence will have to be produced to, to show that. But the other alternative is if we find a virus in Australia that is doing the same thing, that would be possible. Something in the longer term could be commercialised and also produce a commercial product in, in the future. Ryan, has there been any chemical control of fall armyworm at this stage in the Northern Territory? There has Territory? been. On, on the large maize crop, there was spray of a couple of chemicals. The damage was quite severe. That crop was large and was aerial sprayed with a couple of different products. What products did they, they use? They used methamol and a spinosin. And was that spray program successful? Not totally, because by the time they sprayed... The full armyworm on maize will feed on the leaves, but once the cobs are there, it will actually start going into the cobs and will go right into the centre. And by the time they sprayed, there were larvae in the centre. So the, the grower commented that he was getting, you know, the larvae that were on the outside was fine, but anything in the centre was not getting killed by the insecticide. Are you concerned about, going forward, some chemical resistance creeping in? Yeah, well, there's chemical resistance creeping in but also chemical resistance that's come in with the fall armyworm when it first entered the country. So that there have been tests done in New South Wales and by SARO, and the indications are that not so much for the territory stuff because we haven't got our results back, but I know that the Western Australian results showed there were some resistant genes already in the population that's come in. And of course, moving forward, there's always the potential for, we know it can develop resistance to other things, so as we spray there will be selection for resistance to other chemicals. Moving into the wet season now, what are you expecting to happen? You've talked about maybe the fall armyworm moving south, but in those areas where it is now, how will it survive over the wet season? Well, it depends on whether it gets onto some of the native grasses and such like. I mean, there, there will be a, a lot of grass crops around during the wet season, maybe not the maize and the sweet corn but there will be native grasses. So that is something we need to study to see whether it does persist. And we will be doing that, A, by looking at those crops, but also we have a range of traps, pheromone traps, so we will be able to detect where the adult populations are. I suspect during the wet season, as it gets warmer further south, we will start picking up fall armyworm in our traps going down through the territory to Tennant Creek and Alice, or there's the potential. We don't know whether it will go down to those areas as yet until we've done that trapping. Just to wind up then, Brian, and and also Praise, oh, let me ask you first, Praise, put you on the spot here. Going forward from October onwards, what should growers be looking out for when it comes to fall armyworm? Yeah, so I think they should observe first if there is already, uh, I mean, damage and fall armyworm those feeding damages in the crops and check if, yeah, there is full armyworm there. And, yeah, if they're not able to identify that one, they can send it to us for confirmation of those uh, populations in the field. Because it might be that what they yeah. found in the field are the younger larvae and it is hard to identify for those early instars. But if they're able to find the 
older stars, then yeah, it's easier. There is the distinctive characteristics of fall armyworm that we have been mentioning in our webinars and even in our fact sheets. So yeah, it is easier to identify that one. You make a very good point there, Praise. Let's just go back on things a little bit. What sort of damage are you seeing in the paddock? Can you describe the damage that growers should be looking out for on those particular crops? So um, for sweet corn, fall armyworm initially feed on the leaves. There are pinholes on the leaves and the leaves also looks like skeletonized leaves. And after that one, you would observe that Fall armyworm are also feeding on the whole. And the very common identification that there is a fall armyworm on the whole is that you can observe frost in the whole of maize or sweet corn. What about okra and watermelon? What sort of damage are they doing on those two crops? So I know you've only spotted it in your laboratory, but what, what are they munching on? In terms of feeding on of fall armyworm on these crops, I observe them in the lab that they're just fairly feeding on the leaves. So most likely it's the same as well. There are holes in the leaves as well. And then sometimes the midrib is left on the leaves. So yeah, those are the sort of things that I think, yeah, they can observe that in the field. Brian, what's your advice to growers moving forward from October into the wet season? Well, when we move forward into the wet season, their main cropping season is finished in the territory. It's usually during the dry season, during the, as we say, the winter months. So going forward, there won't be that much cropping happening. There are some okra plots which go on a bit longer. So it's more whether they persist on local grasses and things. I think the growers should be looking for, particularly going into next season, they should be looking at whether they're getting build-ups on any of their vegetable crops and things. But as I say, there won't be many crops in during the, the wet season. If people see a caterpillar that they're not sure of what it is, will you guys help out there? Yes, indeed. And in fact, we prefer to see samples rather than just descriptions over the phone or photos if they're good, but sometimes you can't see things in the photo. So it's good to get samples. And our department receives samples of not just a full army worm, but we assist the industry by identifying a whole range of different insects. So we encourage people to send samples to us when they've got a problem. Thanks, Brian. Brian Thistleton, a senior principal entomologist with the NT Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade, and senior entomologist Brezel Praise Tadley, also with the department. My name is Chris Brown. This podcast was brought to you by the Plant Biosecurity Research Initiative, an initiative of the following R&D organisations. Cotton Research and Development Corporation, Forest and Wood Products Australia, Grains Research and Development Corporation, Horticulture Innovation Australia, AgriFutures Australia, Sugar Research Australia, Wine Australia and Plant Health Australia.